Hi guys, welcome to episode one of the second season of Vibing in Valentino. So we are back from our month-long break and I have some news for you guys. Now that I have told everybody that I am closest to and personally around me all the time, I feel that it is okay to share with you. So I am moving from LA to Bangkok at the end of January so by the time this episode comes out it's gonna be like 10 days left that I have in America and I mean you guys probably already know considering like if you guys follow me on Instagram you see my going away party flyers and all this other stuff happening and every time I tell the story to people about why I'm moving back people that aren't in my inner inner circle um so like (laughs) except for like for people, I swear. (laughs) A lot of people don't really understand why I'm moving back. It has nothing to do with work. It has nothing to do with um, like my life here. I love my life here. I have so much fun here. It's just more about, I think, you know, my family back home. They miss me a lot. And I think they just want to be able to spend time with me without feeling like, you know, in eight weeks, she's gonna, we're gonna have to give her back to America. And, you know, that's just something I understand. It took me a long time for me to understand that um, that's what it's about. So, yeah, I decided to make the mature adult move and go back for a year or two for my family. You know, my parents and my brother and my brother's weddings are coming. Like, oh, his weddings as in, like, he has two weddings. So they're both coming up. Um around the same time I'm going back so it's just a smarter move for the moment and I mean nothing is going to change when it comes to the show or you know everything else I everything is done online thank god so everything's going to be on the same schedule I just wanted to share that with you guys that that's what's been going on (laughs) so I hope you guys had a wonderful holiday season I wanted to share with you guys my weekly weakness which is actually a Christmas present that Teresa, one of my best friends in the world, she got for me. It is a hair mask from Brigio. It is the Honey Hair Mask. Um, it's like don't despair repair, but their usual one is not the Honey one. So get the Honey one. It's shaped like um, a bear, like you know those squeezy like bear honey bottles. It's shaped exactly like that, and it is so good. I haven't used. Um, a hair mask is good in a really long time. Um, what I do though is I like use Olaplex after I shampoo and condition and you're supposed to like not leave Olaplex on, I don't think, but in my defense, when I first started using Olaplex, their label said you can leave it on. So I've been leaving it on ever since. And then like, I think about four bottles in, I reread the label and it says to wash off. So and I still don't do it but I use this Brigio hair mask and then I use Olaplex after and I leave it in and my hair is good as new like it's so good so I highly recommend it um this episode is a very fun episode I think we're starting season two off on a provocative note um and I am very very excited that our guest agreed to come on she is a super busy ceo like she co-founded this major company she is pioneering a lot of like political conversations about sex and um 
female sexuality and she is also one of Forbes 30 under 30 so it's been wonderful to be able to sit down and have a conversation with her and um she is so generous she has given our listeners a coupon code for her products so listen to the end or if you guys don't want to listen to the end to start shopping i have the discount code and the website in the show notes below for you guys so enjoy is all about self-love, baby. Our guest this week is a sexologist. She is one of Forbes 30 under 30, and she is the CEO of Dame Products, a company that creates sex toys and tools for women. Alexandra Fine, welcome to Fighting in Valentino. Thank you. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you. You, like, your company has... An incredible story, and I can't wait for you to tell the listeners all about it. But first, tell us about your story. What exactly is a sexologist, and what made you want to become a sexologist? Sexologist is somebody that studies sex. Okay. I actually have my master's in clinical psychology, so I thought I wanted to be, like, maybe the next Dr. Ruth or a professor or a sex therapist. Mm-hmm. And really, like, for me, um, I'm very curious. I love enjoying life, and that, of course, leads to, like, enjoying pleasure, mm-hmm. and I really quickly, like, when I was six years old, I, my aunt brought me to a drag queen party, and I what? went back to show and tell. Yeah, my aunt, she says, like, she just was, like, I was staying with my cool aunt in the city, and she went to go pick something up at her friend's house on, like, a Saturday night with me, Mm -hmm. and she claims she wasn't intending to stay, but I refused to leave, and I (laughs) believe that very much, Um, because I just remember having, like, the best time and feeling like, whoa, the world is so much more vast mm-hmm. than my understanding of it as a six-year-old living in, like, white Jewish suburbia. <laughs> um, and I was just like, wow, like, there's there's so many ways of, of presenting yourself, of living. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, if you're a girl, you don't have to look like a girl. If you're a boy, you don't have to look like a boy. Yeah. He's like, drag queens, they showed me how to strut my stuff. They showed me how to do a catwalk. I love and that. Yeah, I actually really do feel like they, like, I was really obsessed with being a tomboy, mm-hmm. so I think that made me actually really enjoy feminine pageantry and, like, um, like using, like, the male gaze, <laughs> six, I was six years old. I don't know if I had this language, but, like, just, like, you know, what, what does it mean to walk down the catwalk and, like, be like, yeah, yeah, like, and get attention for just your physical appearance. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I went to my show and tell class and explained to them the difference between what it meant to be a drag queen and be a transgender person. Um, and they called my parents mm-hmm. and I got in trouble <laughs> or, you know, went through the experience of what it felt like getting in trouble for talking about something you're not supposed to talk about. Yeah. And I was just like never given a good reason as to why that wasn't okay to talk about. Right. You know, right. like nobody was getting hurt. I wasn't lying. Right. I think that really sparked something in me around this, these topics. Yeah. 
that feel taboo for no reason. And if anything, I kind of feel like these taboos ultimately end up hurting people, preventing us from from living our best lives and creating the best society that we can create. Completely. Like later on in life, like, yeah, like when I was in sixth, seventh grade and going through puberty and I want to say becoming interested in boys, but like I was always just really interested in, I know like some people, like when I was younger, I, I felt sexual when I was like six or seven. And yeah. I feel like that. It's something I've spoken to other people about and they'll say, yes, I, some people feel that way and some people didn't, Yeah, but I was definitely naturally curious and I don't remember masturbating for the first time because I was always masturbating. Yeah. I also think that like the concept of having a crush on somebody, like, like I, I would, I would get so excited about meeting a new person. I would feel on occasion, like, you know, crushes really young um all of that which is you know i think we're so scared of that in children mm-hmm. but i think we should just be maybe a little bit more just aware i i think when i got older i became ashamed like i stopped telling people that i used to feel that way when i was younger mm-hmm. because it sounded so weird and yeah. now i feel more comfortable acknowledging that that's how i felt when i was younger because one it was my truth Mm-hmm. And it's okay. Yeah. Um, and I have met other people who have helped normalize those feelings. Right. But there's just so many people out there who who think that that means that there's something wrong. Anyway, back to my past. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think then when I was in like sixth or seventh grade, I got slut shamed. Like I, I remember kissing a boy for the first time and that boy getting high fives and me getting snickered at. Shut up. I like, yeah, I remember... I, I remember like he seemed really cool for it and yeah. I felt like my my stock went down, his stock went up, but we, you know, had experienced the same thing. Wow. And I feel like Yeah, so like early slut shaming kind yeah. of vibes and all of that just like I think just made me more and more interested and passionate and like wanting to talk about it and understand it. Um I, yeah, like, I kept on having experiences like that, Mm -hmm. and I definitely have a natural urge to work through my shame by talking about things, but I just don't know how to stop talking, (laughs) Um, (laughs) and that, like, ended up me thinking, like, like wanting to be a sex therapist in some way. I got my master's, and really, though, kind of felt like, all right, I have this passion, this topic that I feel like I just need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, it, like, it, it, like being a therapist was the only way I knew how to legitimize this interest and passion yeah. to my parents. And, yeah. and then I kind of realized, like, I wasn't really interested in becoming a therapist as much as I wasn't interested in, like, talking about sexuality and mm-hmm. sex. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me just take a break from this, see what else is out there. I ended up working in a consumer goods company selling all natural shampoo. And I just like loved entrepreneurship. Yeah. And like really, really like drank the millennial Kool-Aid. And I like totally believe that capitalism can be a way of creating positive change in the world. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's me. That's, that's how I ended up making, flinging the positive vibes 
sell sex it. toys and lubricants <laughs> and all the stuff we make here at Dame. Uh, I feel like that was a good 15-minute intro. Um, I love it. I love it. I think it, it really sheds a lot of light, though, into the topic of sex and how, as a society, we're so uncomfortable talking about it. Yeah, you know, I didn't say this story in my journey, but, like, I got HPV, like, when I first started having sex. Like, mm-hmm. I was actually kind of a goody-goody besides being really horny. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, I was dating this boy mm-hmm. for, like, six months, and I was trying so hard to wait till I was 16 to have sex because yeah. I thought people would say things about me if I didn't. Uh-huh. I, like, think I didn't make it by a week or something because yeah. I just really wanted to have sex. I was very <laughs> horny. Uh, anyway, then I, I went to the doctor. I got birth control. Like I did everything that like the textbook says you're supposed to do when you become sex reactive. Mm-hmm. And I found out I had HPV. I thought I had cancer. I thought I was going to die. I'd never heard of yeah. HPV before. <laughs> we didn't know what it was. Uh, and I, when, when the shots mm-hmm. first came out, nobody knew what the fuck it was. <laughs> and it was like six years before the shots came out or like five, I'm 31 um I'm like yeah it was wild to then go from having that experience to realizing this is something that 80 percent of women are gonna have at some point yeah. and that men have too it's just dormant in their bodies and it was like another moment of like holy shit how did nobody tell me this how did I yeah. read all the textbooks and like not know yeah and then for my health class, I wanted to share my story about how I had HPV, mm-hmm. and my teacher told me not to. She was really, really, and it came from a place of compassion. She was really worried that people were going to say mean things yeah. about me. Yeah. And so she suggested I not. And yeah. I remember she would grade people's health, like their posters, based mm-hmm. on like how gross of a photo you found for the STD you were you were telling people about like it was so disheartening because because she was one again like this is such a kind teacher like this I you know wasn't malintent yeah but she was encouraging people to have negative feelings about STDs and versus realistic ones the way we would talk about STDs made me feel like, well, I would never have one mm-hmm. because, like, only gross people get them, and yeah. I'm going to use a condom, and I'm going to follow all the rules. And yeah. that's, not, that's not true. Like, like I did use a condom. You yeah. know, I still got HPV. Um, and, like, I think so many people don't get tested because they don't think it could happen to them. Yeah because of the picture we paint around the type of person that would get enough. Right. It's just complicated and there's no place to talk about it. And we just really wanted to champion having open, direct, honest conversations around sex Mm -hmm. that aren't about feeling sexual, but are just about understanding it. Yeah. So we as a team can just make the best products, content, tools, for, for our customers to have, to understand their erotic powers more. Yeah, I love that. And that's why you guys talk so much about the pleasure gap. So for yeah. our listeners that don't know what the pleasure gap is, can you tell them just all about it? Like, what is it? Yeah. So women are four times more likely than males to say that sex has been not at all pleasurable in the past year. They, you know, 
like uh, some other stats out there about like how like men are twice as likely to orgasm in a sexual experience than a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like no matter what study you look at, generally speaking, uh, men seem to enjoy and feel more entitled to sex, and women seem much more. They, they don't seem to enjoy it as much. They are less interested and feel less entitled to it. And we wanted to change that gap. I think that like feeling good in your body, feeling like you have the time to enjoy life is such a fucking privilege. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we have true equality in the world, we'll also have pleasure equality. Yeah, so that's like the pleasure gap. So we wanted to create, you know, when we thought about how do we want to lift up pleasure for all, it became very clear very quickly, especially for my co-founder and I, that it was about really lifting it up for vulva owners within the context of sex, kind of first and foremost. So our first product, Eva, is a hands-free pull vibrator that is worn on top of the clitoris mm-hmm. during penetrative sex. So about 70% of women need clitoral stimulation on a cat have an orgasm. Right. But every TV show will show you that obviously both people have an orgasm at the same time, which is not true, um, but that's kind of what we're fed. So right. we wanted to create a product that allowed people to get the stimulation that is more likely to help them achieve an orgasm during quote-unquote sex. Like I think the thing about the pleasure gap a lot of men want women to be having better sex too. That's kind of where I think that product really thrived. We actually have, we sold, we sell a lot of Eva to, to partners. Yeah. Who are interested in, you know, like how can I make sex better for my partner? Yeah. You know, I know she loves using a vibrator. Um, and that's one way, you know, in her self care and her self routine that she seems to be having like great sex. And I mean, instead of, you know, some guys sitting around thinking about how, like, what, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do it? Right. I'm like, well, why can't I just buy a tool that enables us to have that better sex? Why do you think that this gap exists? Do you think it's biological, like, just in the way that our sex organs are different in males and females? Or do you think societal, gender, like, norms? I think it's a, a multi-factor like just a lot of the reasons you just named, like I definitely think that biology is certainly a part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that like overall, like the discrepancy, it has something to do with biology. I do think that like being the party that is actually going to go through pregnancy, sex and pregnancy go hand in hand. Now we have the advent of condoms and birth control pills and just other kinds of birth control methods. They are they're a lot more separated than they used to be, but yeah. they used to be much more connected sex was just a much bigger risk for women because making a baby could mean death for you. Yeah. Like, I think that is some of the reasoning why women look at sex in a different way and have a different risk profile for it. Um, I do think that that is different now, right? Like women, we have so many tools now to stop that. So it's not really the biology anymore it's a little bit of this biology from the past plus our favorite thing to blame anything on which is fucking patriarchy and religion I think that uh, I think monotheism and the concept that God is 
there's one God and that we tend to use he for that God Mm -hmm. is uh, part of the problem. I think that the idea of land ownership and like financial power being pushed towards just the men is another reason why, you know, we have all the the challenges that, that we have when it comes to sex. Like for women, sex isn't just now about having like you might have babies, but it's also about your ability, your virginity, your livelihood tied to a man. Yeah. So if if men make all the money and you are reliant on your partner to feed you, they, because they have more power in the world, might feel more entitled or more able to go out and experience pleasure from multiple women. They're not worried about their lives finding out. Because what are their wives going to do? Right. Um, but you as a woman, like, if you lose your partner, you're not going to have the financial means. That's going to make a bigger impact in your life. So I think I think it's all of these things combined, mm-hmm. um, plus education. Like, we definitely don't have education around how pleasurable sex can and should feel like and mm-hmm. how we can encourage it in each other. Because I do think, like, when we do research, like, the one thing that always blows me away not just that women aren't enjoying sex as much. A lot of them are just like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I'm, I'm super okay with not having sex anymore. I, and I don't know where that comes from. So then let's get this straight. If your boyfriend can't make you orgasm, is it his fault? Or no? <laughs> <laughs> like, there, there's like so many versions of me in the world. And like, a part of me just wants to be like, fuck yes. it's his fault. Because that's fun to say. But the <laughs> The person that actually makes an impact in the world does not want to say that. Don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, him. Um, look, I think, I, I don't think it's any, I, I think fault is irrelevant. Okay. I don't think that as individuals, like, look, if all, if so many women, if there's a systematic difference between men and women enjoying their pleasure, mm-hmm. which there seems to be, we can't just blame it on this one guy not knowing how to please that one woman because because you know it's not his fault maybe he never learned maybe nobody ever taught him yeah. I think a lot of us think that we're just supposed to know how to have sex and then right. it's just supposed to feel good and natural and as long as we like the person and there'll be sparks there right. like, all of those things just aren't true so I don't really think it's anybody's fault I think honestly I can't believe I'm saying this I, I think that like out of a lot of the things that you can fix in a relationship Sex, parts of sex, are actually some of the easiest things to fix. Sex is the easiest thing to fix? Yeah, like, look, I think it's a lot harder to find somebody that you vibe with, that, like, you just giggle with, that gets your jokes, all of that. Yeah. Somebody not knowing how to orbit your clitoris because they touch it directly, but you really need five minutes of warm-up. Like, that's, like, that's, like, tactical shit, you know? Yeah, you can communicate you can communicate that you can like <laughs> so like that's so cool to me yeah. um yeah i don't know so i definitely don't think it's his fault i don't think it's your fault i think it's something that you both can improve on yeah it's just not going to get better unless people are talking about it yeah and and like if you just dump him then some <laughs> other some you know one of your sisters is going to pick him up and have the same shitty experience yeah like yeah, you, you want to leave him a better man than how you got him, sis. You got to teach yeah. him some things. <laughs> Let him know. Because, I, I don't know, you know, I will say I've had the experience of trying to give 
feedback in sex, mm-hmm. which is always hard to do and something I think takes a lot of tact because it's sensitive. Yeah. Where a guy is just like, nobody has ever said that to me before. Right. So, so you don't, so like, I don't know if I'm going to believe you because you're the first person to ever tell me, oh my God, or somebody else I told you. Like, <laughs> I'm positive from my experience that like, your tongue on my cheek is not turning. Me. Yeah, like, like that's not it for me. <laughs> don't please don't lick totally. me like my dog licks me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not I mean, thing, I'm married now, and I like to make fun of my husband for some of our earlier sexual experiences. And it's funny now. It's funny and playful, and we both learned, and we both like do things like I love to bite. Like I'm a biter, and you like not as into biting. No, like. Ugh. No. Where does you bite? (laughs) Where do I bite? I like love like little nibbles. My mom would bite me growing up. Oh, really? Like on your cheek? Yeah, my mom would give me like little love bites like on my cheek. You know, like I think I see like moms do it to babies too. Like it's like you're so cute, want to like yeah, yeah, you're like nosh on them, and then yeah. So, like, I definitely think of, like, little nibbles, like, nibbling on the ear mm-hmm. or on the lip or on the neck as, like, really cute. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband not. literally used to, like, jump when I would do it. <laughs> and then when I asked him, and he's got these, like, really juicy lips or this really juicy bottom lip that I mm-hmm. like to, like, nosh on. Aww. But he's, like... <laughs> He's not very, he can't, like, he, he he's not great at biting. <laughs> and I think it's because his lip is so big that it's, like, hard for him to, like, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Our bodies are different. We're all different. We yeah. can learn other things that are sexual. Right. We can, you know, like, I, I think, like, the coolest thing about sex and pleasure is growing through it, mm-hmm. which means, like, you know, like, it's so amazing. Like, I think it's so powerful to have a sexual experience and decide that you don't like something. Like, knowing what you like and knowing what you don't like is understanding who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it's okay to, to try something that you, like, you, you don't ever want to do again. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it doesn't mean it was a bad experience. It means that it was an experience. Like, you learned so much from that. Yeah. Like, if anal sex is something you only want to do in your fantasies, and you actually don't like in real life, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. Like, that's totally acceptable. Right. Okay. Let's go from communicating about sex with your partner to just the overall, the way we communicate about sex to society. The company had an issue with advertising, and you guys sued the New York City subway for discrimination. Can you talk to us about that? What happened there? I love the way you said it because I do think that this advertising challenges that we've had as a company mm-hmm. are a great, what is it, like analogy or, yeah, sure, I don't know if that's the right word, um, to the challenges that we have just about talking about sex in general. Yeah. We, we tend to treat any conversation or acknowledgement about sex directly as inappropriate, yeah. but are very comfortable using sex to sell other products. Exactly. Yeah. So I went to run advertisements with the MTA. They originally said that we can run advertisements. And then after talking to us for like six months, uh, we finally submitted the final ad work and asked for an invoice to pay. They ghosted us. And then they changed their policy a little bit and said that they would not work with any sexually oriented business. 
Meanwhile, like erectile dysfunction pills, libido arousal supplements, Museum of Sex, which is a really amazing place that you can go and also buy a Dame product vibrator in their mm-hmm. gift shop. Like all of those companies that were able to run advertisements and were running advertisements when the when the MTA denied us. You know, it just got to seem like it's like subtle sexism. They were saying that they wouldn't let anybody run any product, like run any advertisement for any sex toy, whether it was a for a man or a woman. Okay. So they were saying it wasn't gendered. Okay. But I would argue that I sell a product that helps you have more sexual pleasure. Erectile dysfunction medication is also a product that helps you have more sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. There is no, to say that like one is medically needed, like no man needs an erection. You don't right. medically need to have an erection. Right. Cancer genitalia is actually different. Mm-hmm. People didn't view that as being sexist. They were just saying, well, like, no, men need their penises to work, but women don't need vibrators in order to have sexual pleasure. Right. While a lot of women do feel like they need their vibrator in order to enjoy sexual pleasure. Right. So it was interesting because I could tell in my conversations or I often feel like nobody thinks they're being sexist. Nobody, nobody's out to, not nobody. In, in my instance, I didn't feel like anybody at the MTA was overtly sexist. Mm-hmm. It was just that their understanding of what healthy sex is supposed to be is one where men have sexual pleasure and women don't necessarily have sexual pleasure. Right. Yeah. And I think that that reflects on the majority of the society's views on sex and the sex dynamic between a heterosexual couple. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, I also think, like, we kind of touched on this, but there's tons of ads that use sex to sell products. Exactly. And I've also seen advertisements, like, there was an advertisement the other day on the subway for a moving company, and it said, quote, unquote, like, we can help you move your children's toys and your adult toys, too. So, like... Wow. That was okay, but actually selling that product that that, that, that advertising joking about right. isn't okay. Not okay. And it's like, well, where are we drawing these lines? Why are we drawing these lines? And ultimately, how, how does, how do these advertisements impact the world? Yeah. And how are what we not saying impact the world? Like, it's easy to talk about how, oh, this advertising is too sexual and it's gonna, imp- or, like advertisements only showing skinny white women is going to make all other women feel inferior. Right. What's harder to do is say like not having these advertisements is problematic because it's not, it's not giving women the same options as we give men to enjoy their sexual pleasure. Right. We just need to be able to figure out how to have conversations about sex in public discourse that isn't the same thing as porn. Yeah. Those are two separate things. So then how do you maneuver around issues just marketing and, you know, maybe general misunderstanding or misperception of the nature of your product? I mean, we work really hard to the language we use and the imagery we use in reconstructing what it means to be a sexual wellness brand. So we spend a lot of time and effort just trying to show these products authentically yeah. and put them in, like, real life. I try to do things sometimes like, we often refer to them as toys for sex. 
because I've noticed that if we say sex toys, it immediately conjures up all of these ideas for people. Yeah. But if I just like tweak it a little bit, it gives you extra pause. It's putting a little bit more space in the words. Yeah. And people are like, oh yeah, it is just a toy for sex, yeah. not a sex toy. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Kind of like another thing I remember when we first started the business, I was like, we'll never call them massagers. So annoying when brands do that. Like call it what it is. But the truth is, that's really hard to advertise something called sex toy or vibrator. It's a lot easier to advertise than Sasha. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay, so, now I see why they did all that. <laughs> I Now I see why they did all of that. It's yeah. not the companies. You know, it's also like a system yeah. that we're playing in. So, I mean, we just do a lot to focus our content around fact-based it's like science and experiences and be educational, mm-hmm. be upfront. We try not to do anything just for the the whole and we just try not to be sensationalist in yeah. general. Yeah. Yeah, we just try to like tell it how it is. Right. And when I say science or like fact based, it doesn't like we also really try to look at like ancient wisdom. Like yeah. sex is a primordial need. It is powerful. It is important and it's worth understanding. Right. It is completely. Mm-hmm. And which is why one of the coolest things about your guys' company, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk kind of maybe the business aspect of Dane products. But yeah. one of the coolest things about Dane products is Dane Labs. Can you explain what that is and why you felt like yeah. the Dame the Dame Labs component was such a necessary part of your business? You like when something really makes sense, it like happens for more than one reason. Mm-hmm. I think that's like kind of how Dame Labs came to be. Like when we were designing Eva, Eva's designed to be worn in the vulva, uh-huh. and lots of people have different shaped vulvas. And yeah. in order to make this product work, we needed people to test it. Right. So from day one of like starting this company and creating products, we were using product testers to give us feedback. We didn't even realize, I think at first, how how innovative that was Mm -hmm. you know i think in the in this category it's a lot harder to do product testing it's not like i can make one prototype of an iphone and get 500 people to test it out i have to make one for each person um and i don't i can't really watch them interact with it even though we tried to that's it um (laughs) but just trying to do the research and ignore the taboo was innovative in the field yeah and we were just like well it's of course it should just be necessary so we kept on doing it and not only did we rely on testers to give us feedback about prototypes but also like hey how does this make you feel what kind of products do you want and we realized that like cultivating this conversation in our community helps us make the best tools that we can make um it guides what we think we should make next. It helps us with everything from ideation to prototyping. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like now it's over 10,000 people. Anybody can sign up to be a tester on our website. I love and that. Yeah. Yeah. If you're just like active and answering questions, then you're more likely to become an actual product tester. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just like, like if you were making anything, you would have people try it. Right. Uh, and, but when it comes to something that has so much taboo, because we don't take it seriously, we expect less of the category, mm-hmm. and the manufacturers have gotten away with doing less. Yeah. So we're just trying to 
treat the category like with the respect that it deserves. It's been powerful because even just having those conversations with the testers has become like a powerful experience in in and of itself. I love that. We just started like a, there's like a Facebook group now for people in Dame Labs and people just like sit there and like, like the conversations I've seen happen in this Facebook group are just so intimate and powerful and really beautiful to see. You know, people who are really struggling with finding, figuring out sex and mm-hmm. finding their sexualities. So people who, you know, kinky or very sexual explore, sexually explorative to people, you know, people struggling with, you know, having a celibate partner yeah. or, you know, and it's just so wonderful for these people to, people want to talk about it and they just don't know where to talk about it and giving people a safe space. Um, I mean, it's like just, a, it's powerful for them. It's powerful for us at Dame because it helps us understand the world that we're trying to change. Right. Um, and it's just become like core to what we do. Yeah. Like no product that we make doesn't get tested by at least 50 people. I love that. It's like your own focus group. Yeah, definitely. We have talked about this a little bit earlier, but you guys were the first sex toy ever to be funded by a crowdfunding platform. What has that journey been like? And was the outcome like, I'm sure it exceeded all your expectations, but when you went into it, were you a little bit like, okay, like we don't know if this is going to work out? So, first of all, we were the first sex toy on the Kickstarter platform. Okay. So, when we first went to go launch in, yeah, when we launched Eva, our very first product, mm-hmm. we asked Kickstarter if we could be on their platform. They were like, no, we don't allow for sex toys. So, we went on, on Indiegogo mm-hmm. and were wildly successful there. I, but we weren't the first on Indiegogo. Yeah. Like there had been other products that had sold for sex toys. I mean, we like doubled what any of them had done. Like the highest yeah. grossing campaign Amazing. in the sex toy was about $260,000 and we did 575000 So yeah. we were pleased with that. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, like, yes, like it totally beat our expectations yeah. because no other campaign had done that before. Right. But... People were always like, were you surprised? And I used to be like, yeah, I was so surprised. But like, no, I thought I'd come up with a great idea. <laughs> like, I was putting my money into it. Like, I I think this product should be doing even more. Yeah. Like, I mean, on the flip side, I also like remember like crying. There were a few days where like the campaign was just blowing up and mm-hmm. I just felt so just like so many emotions it was just mm-hmm. like more than pride and yeah. it's just like this validation like you you're you're constantly like janet and i janet's my co-founder being like this is a good idea right right you think yeah. it's a good idea i think it's a good idea and then you know i think the thing that, that's really cool in business is like people come up and they're not just like oh this is a great idea they're like here's money for your idea like that's powerful yeah and we were able to make the product and yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Wow. Then for our second product, Finn, which is a finger vibrator that you can wear on your hands. It's mm-hmm. really great for anybody with disabilities, partnerships. Again, that product was, we went back to Kickstarter. We said, hey, we're about to launch our second product. You know, we'd actually at that time, like we were working down the block from Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. we knew people who worked there and we had told them that they had originally said no to us. And everybody was oftentimes like nobody was anti-sex. 
Yeah. They were just like, well, oh, it's just a policy. Like, we just don't know how our customers are going to feel. I'm for it. So we wrote them a letter and we just said, hey, look, you guys are all about, like, supporting makers, independent makers who want to improve the world through their own creation. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, exactly what we're trying to do. Like, yes, it has to do with sex, but ultimately, like, we're just like anybody else on this platform. Yeah. And that really resonated with them. Um, and they literally came back to us within 24 hours and were like, yeah, we can do this. They wanted to like check a few things. They thought maybe they couldn't do it for sort of a third party that they worked with, mm-hmm. but that turned out not to be true. And yeah, we were the first sex toy ever allowed on the Kickstarter platform. I think that's incredibly powerful. I think whenever we get to be the first, that is us changing policies yeah. in some way. Yeah. I know that there are other sex toys, queer sex toys, other products now that have been allowed on the site. I love that. Just trailblazing. Yeah, it is trailblazing. It's, it is making a change. Yeah. And I feel like those are some of the things that we're really proud of. Like, I didn't start the company to start lawsuits like that wasn't really my intention right right but (laughs) but I am incredibly proud of that yeah um I I I never thought I'd be proud for suing somebody but now I'm seeing that is starting a real conversation it is and it feels just as important in changing the way we understand sex is to change those policies as much as it is to help people see that these vibrators um, to make safe, effective vibrators that people feel comfortable buying. Yeah. I love that there's just a bigger, you know, kind of purpose to this brand and that you guys are really championing the conversation. What would be the advice that you would give to aspiring female entrepreneurs? My advice to any entrepreneur is like, anybody can do it. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. (laughs) You literally can do whatever you want. Like, there are no rules. Um, I think a further step from that, like, yes, it's hard, but I would say really decide what it is that you want. Like, why are you starting this business? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure to some extent it's making money, but like, how much money do you really want to make? Like, what, how much time do you really want to work? Mm-hmm. And then just to be intentional in, in constructing your life. And I say this as if I perfected it. I have not. <laughs> I go through cycles where I feel like I'm really driving the business and I'm running the business. And then I have months where I feel like the business is running me. Yeah. And I think that through entrepreneurship, like the clearer you are about your intentions and the earlier you are about them and what's important to you, the better you'll be at constructing it. Mm -hmm. And then I think specifically to female entrepreneurs, I just think like embrace who you are, trust your instincts, you're most likely going to get a lot more advice from men and that there's a way of doing business that maybe feels different based on the fact that you were raised as a woman and you might, it might work better for you that way. And like, that's all okay. You should do things that make you feel comfortable that work for you. I think like the opportunity for being a female entrepreneur and doing it differently is really powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's not about doing business the way men do business. It's about figuring out a way to do business that works for you. Yeah. Before we wrap the show, we do a segment every week called Weekly Weakness, all about your favorite thing of the moment. So what is yours? It could be a TV show, a book, anything at all. I think Big Mouth is so good. Oh, yeah. It's that cartoon on Netflix Mm -hmm. about sex. Mm -hmm. It is like, I do think it's, I absolutely 
absolutely love the show. I think it's such a funny, great educational way of mm-hmm. learning more about sex and exploring all the weird things that we do in puberty and experience. Yeah. And understanding understanding hormones and shame and all of that. And yeah, that's what I'm really into. Tell our listeners where they can find you, Dame products and Dame's newest release. If you could talk a little bit about that duo. Dame products. You can find us at dameproducts.com. And yeah, we just released a duo, which is a great little holiday kit. Mm-hmm. It has a small little bullet vibrator, condoms, lube, some cozy socks. And it all comes in this really great storage stash, Love which it. is like a – it looks like a makeup bag, but it has – honestly, it's the best makeup bag ever because <laughs> it has all these additional pockets in it. So it's got, like, organization within the bag. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we designed it that way, this way if you put sex toys in there, the sex toys will stay separated and not touch each other. But it's just a great little storage bag. And then we also have, like, other amazing products, like Palm is my favorite is product. Um, Eva, which we've mentioned a few times, is our bestseller. Thin is another great product that I find a lot of, like, my partner loves that toy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, explore away on our website. Check it out. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alex, for talking to me today. No problem. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, I had so much fun. And the things yeah. that you're doing to change policies in this country and just creating conversation that needs to be talked about. I'm completely inspired and fascinated and I'm so excited to share this episode with everybody thank you thank you so much bye bye I hope you guys had a fun time listening to that conversation with Alexandra Fine of Dame Products so once again the coupon code is VIBE15 so V-I-B 15 for 15% off and it is good until the end of February. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to give me a five-star rating and hit that subscribe button. And I will catch you guys next Friday. Bye.